Speak the charm of make charm of make charm. There will come a time on the planet Earth when science and technology will be long forgotten. When wizards will rule the world. This is the Arnamancy Podcast, exploring esotericism, tarot, magic, and the occult. I am Reverend Eric. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome back. This is Eric Arneson, and I'm joined today by Masonic researcher Gregory B. Stewart, the author and artist of the three books of the Symbolic Lodge series on the Degrees of Freemasonry. A devoted student of the esoteric, Greg is a firm believer in the Masonic connection to the hermetic traditions of antiquity, its evolution through the ages, and its present configuration as the antecedent to the most present-day currents of esoteric and occult practice. Greg's been slowly working on a new book exploring his understanding of a hermetic worldview and how that view is expressed in a postmodern culture. Hi, Greg. Hey, how's it going? Great. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for joining me. Uh, we were just chatting beforehand about how um, Greg and I are both... We've both been Masons for a long time, and we've both been yeah. present on the internet f- for a long time. Like, you know, I think uh, in the early days, Freemasonry was really active in CompuServe, but then when it moved over to, over to the internet, it did so very slowly, and it was during a time when... I mean, you and I probably were like the youngest Masons in our lodges, I would assume. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, way back in the yeah. day for sure. So it was mostly like super old people who just didn't know how to do internet stuff. So it was kind of, uh, uh, Greg, descri- you described it as uh, the wild west of the internet days, but it was really just like people like you and I, we probably couldn't even get our lodges to make websites. <laughs> no, no, and, and if they were, yeah. they were like uh, little uh, animated GIF GeoCity sites that-, that Under construction. Sort of linked, yeah, and had <laughs> spinning squares and compass, which were- which were kind of cool in the day. I mean, those were all the things that I think we looked for to, to add because those are the bells and whistles. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? But, I'm certain that I had a spinning square <laughs> and compass somewhere on some website. <laughs> and like the torch that would kind of crackle. and, and <laughs> um, Yeah. So, so the, the reason that I've been uh, excited about having you on um, the podcast is that uh, you and I have never really spoken much before. I mean, I guess it's possible that maybe we exchanged emails or we're on the same forum like way, way back in the day. But um, but both of us have sort of stumbled across uh, these similar sorts of connections between um, Freemasonry and either uh, older Hermetic traditions or maybe like Renaissance Hermetic traditions. And uh, I think we've both sort of seen kind of like the echo or the spark of that uh, existing in sort of like modern currents so i i would say that's true yeah that's very true but we totally did this independently so we've never really talked about it and uh <laughs> so i think it's going to be fascinating to see what we agree on what we don't agree on what you've seen what i've seen and so i just am going to start asking you questions about some of that yeah, stuff to see please okay uh well let's go kind of let's start at the end uh you talk about um in the introduction we talked about the book uh, your new book is going to be exploring uh the hermetic worldview uh expressed in a postmodern culture i i don't know that i necessarily have a really good understanding of what postmodern culture is or what the term postmodern means but i do see it thrown around a lot can you sort of uh <laughs> distill how you use that term 
Sure, sure. So, 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 really, where where that um, where that graph comes from uh, was something that I started a while ago that um, is still kind of in the process, but I kind of put it down, which was a. A, a, an examination of Freemasonry in a postmodern context. So, so modern was 1950s. So, so postmodern in the art sense of uh, of modern being 50s, 60s, and postmodern sort of taking off in the the post nuclear age. So, okay. so as culturally we start shifting uh, what what our thoughts are. So, you think of the nuclear family of the 50s as really being sort of a the modern uh, family. A, yeah of the ideal of what perfection is and and for for people for us i mean that that i don't know how real that is for a lot of people you know norman rockwell fantastic artist uh, uh a mason also i think mm-hmm. um and, and painted these idyllic scenes of of perfection when the reality was that uh in a in a post-war era um I I wonder how wonderful the time really was. I mean, we we idealize it through Leave It to Beaver, and and other things that were made after the fact. But really, it was a post-war era. So imagine, you know, hundreds of thousands of GIs coming back with PTSD and coming back into families and issues of alcoholism and things like that. All the same mm-hmm. things that we see today with soldiers coming back, coming back then. Um, so so we go from a modern context into a postmodern and, and in the art world, you start to see it and things start taking on more of a, uh, a contemplative quality. And, and you could say that that's even evolved into some of the new age ideas of, of uh, yoga. Should not have sat outside of, <laughs> of, uh, of, of, uh, of spirituality, spiritualism. I mean, these are the areas that those ideas sort of re regrew in. So, so the idea for the early work was was to, to examine Freemasonry in that post-war, um, in that post-war period, uh, as it evolved, and and really what it encompassed was that the the shrinking, because that's the the time in history when Freemasonry went from its super high period to its low period now. Um, and and it's it's next phase or iteration of existence. So so this is really the postmodern in a in a Masonic context. This is postmodern uh, Freemasonry, but in postmodern history. So so we are in a time now where it's uh, less intrinsic in, as a way of life, um, less uh, out there and and around in a way that people can see it uh, and and accessible and uh, even less known. So, so that's the Freemasonry in a postmodern context. So Hermetica in, in this Hermetic ideal exists in that same uh, temporal space uh, in that it's an idea that's come from the past. There's really no tradition, save a few, that, that really have uh, roots that are still embedded in it. And, and my thought was that, um, so, so from human, uh, Freemasonry into Hermetica, that that these thoughts all exist now in in a in a postmodern context. So, so it's not um, uh, uh, a chapter and verse sort of take on it. We're trying that. That's I think the ideal. We want to stick with that as like he, here is the gospel of what it is. But the reality is that it's a blend of a whole lot of different things, and and it exists at different levels. Uh, exists in a literal sense, in a meta sense, and and even as a symbolic sense. So mm-hmm. so we could we could look at it in all these different levels. So so that's the idea behind this um, 
how Hermetica and the Hermetic tradition exists in a postmodern context, jumping off from this Freemasonry in a postmodern context. No, I, I feel I, like I just answered and totally didn't answer that. <laughs> you did, you did it, and it also it um it brought to mind some really interesting uh, concepts, especially in relation to like how Freemasonry was a part of like that 1950s perfect family mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? And you can see that in like um uh, the Flintstones is a great example yeah. of that sort of vision where you have uh you know you got the husband and the wife and the the family and the 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 job all day and then at night the husband goes off to lodge and stuff and so you yep. you kind of see that ideal played out in a lot of um i don't know if you see it in a lot of contemporary stuff as, as much as you see it in in stuff from the 70s and 80s looking back at that era yeah yeah and and so in an early work uh, we were talking about the early stages of the website so around 2010 or so I, I i pulled together a bunch of my blog work and put it into a book that that woefully needs some some love and, and readaption. <laughs> But in, in one of them, uh, it, there was an artist who was, who was very big at the time. He's probably still pretty big, but a guy that goes by the name of Shag. And, and in his art, it was this uh, tiki culture. And, and what struck me at the time was, was his, uh, his inclusion of, of those same some tropes. So, so like what you saw in the Flintstones with the, the Shriners mm-hmm. um, and the Fezes, he, he incorporated that into his artwork unintentionally um pushing the 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 material culture of the freemasons and the shriners into his art but but not really getting the contextual basis and i wasn't interested in trying to you know school him or tell him about it but it was interesting to me how how these ideas these disconnected ideas in the past um carried through into uh what was then 10 years ago now uh, a modern uh or postmodern a postmodern encapsulation of what used to be so the ideal so back mm-hmm. to that idea of norman rockwell projecting what what was ideal in his art so this art too it was you know tiki culture martinis and people running around in fezes and little cars it, <laughs> i mean it, it is it's floated through i mean look at the dead kennedy's uh the dead kennedy's cover from from oh, yeah. i can't think of the album, frank and frank, frank and christ. christ yeah 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 and yeah. and it's and it's shriners and little cars so so these ideas um, haven't been uh, completely out of context, but I think the further away we get from that era, especially as a fraternity is, 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 I don't think there's anybody that would argue with me that says that it's, it's diminishing in, in, in its stature. Mm-hmm. Um, those ideals are, are fading uh, more from the cultural narrative. So, so if you were to ask people today or show them today, they would just see it as, Oh, look at the person riding in the funny pedal car. Right. Which you, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm it's it's making me you know I'm I'm not a shriner, but um, the shrine in uh, in my area in in Portland has uh, recently had like this big uh, resurgent in in interest. So a lot of the younger masons mm-hmm. are becoming shriners, and you can kind of see it or hear it in the way they talk about it and the way they enjoy it. You know, it's almost like. Uh, it's almost like a rockabilly style where it's sort of like this idealized past, right? They're sort of like, Oh, look at these great hats and these great tiny cars. Like they are getting into the aesthetic as sort of a, a reliving of that era or like an idealization of the, of the, uh, the modern age. So it is very postmodern, isn't it? It's yeah. I mean, you hear, uh, I think though, and go ahead. Oh, I was just sort of thinking about like 
you hear so much talk about, um, you know, there, there are so many uh, hungry Freemasons who are sort of like, everybody who's joining these days is joining because they want like the spiritual essence and they want the, they want to explore the mystic arts and they want to, and, and uh, I feel like if you're really honest and you really look at who's joining, it's kind of, it's still pretty well split. You yeah. still have oh, like yeah. a, a lot of people who are doing it because it's, uh, it's either an aesthetic choice or a sort of social service choice. Uh, and the mystical stuff is almost still kind of gravy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's funny. I, I was actually thinking about this the other day and, and, and how um, people come to it and what their expectations are of it. Uh, and, and I went back, I, I'd thrown something silly up in, uh, in Twitter about it. Um, about uh, your first remembrances of Nicolas Cage and, and no one ever touched on it, but, but my thought went to, to how many people joined at the time uh, thinking about national treasure and, and oh, national yeah. treasure as like this encapsulation of what it was. And, and, and there's a lot of, you know, tutting of it, the movie at the time at, at, at what it was representing because it was, you know, right around the same time as, uh, as Dan Brown's books. Mm-hmm. And um I think that uh, that as for for as as seemingly detrimental as it might have been that people were coming to it with thinking that it, you know you going to meetings was literally trying to decode secret symbols on on the Constitution um, that there was still that it still captured the air of it in the sub characters and in the subplots to it mm-hmm. uh, you know Officer Sandusky and his you know quiet knowing of, of putting his hand on a shoulder or just the, the, you know, the tie that has the symbols or the ring that has a symbol. Um, it still had those airs of mystique. And, and I think what's happened since is that there hasn't been a lot of media with that. And, uh, and, and so the internet has surfaced as a, as a means of people trying to discover it. And, and it ends up becoming a, a hodgepodge of messaging and content and uh, understandings of it that you're right. So, so you end up with the, with a, a crazy assortment of people coming for a variety of different reasons. Mm-hmm. I, I still get questions for things on stuff. It's like, I, it's not, not for me to answer anymore. And, and it's not my, I'm not the guy in charge of it. So, um, but, but I mean, everything from like magic of King Solomon to, uh, the Illuminati, the, you, you know what I mean? It spans a gamut and, and, I think it, it's a it's it's always interesting to sort of follow the breadcrumbs of how people came in, which mm-hmm. you could pull from the questions that they asked to it. But that's really interesting what you mentioned about the the Shriners up in your area that it's it's they're grasping on to uh, the retro aspects of it rather than what previous meat and potatoes were. Now it's it's let's we're into it because of all these other little weird kitsch things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day who. Like the first, you know, he joined the shrine because he was interested in the the children's hospital charity, but he was also mm-hmm. talking about like the thrill that he had when he got his ginormous rhinestone covered gaudy fez, and like his first <laughs> thought was, "I want to wear this out in public." <laughs> uh, uh, so let's let's talk about um, the hermetic connection because uh, yeah, you know the it, the. The hermetic stuff is is really fascinating simply because there's been such a weird evolution of that where it keeps sort of being rediscovered, uh, forgotten again, rediscovered, weirdly interpreted. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> and Freemasonry sort of it it sort of rose into its like present secret society sort of thing, kind of around the tail end of the Renaissance, which yeah. was really spurred by a rediscovery of Hermetic philosophy. Uh, which I think maybe not. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. There, there, we we could probably spend ten hours dissecting this, but <laughs> I think it's really hard to trace a direct influence of the Renaissance Hermetic stuff, like directly into Freemasonry. But I do know yeah, that's true. that it's there, maybe even just like one or two steps removed. So, so this is this is a uh, this is one of the challenges. Um, I. I I mean, no one will ever know. So, so even even in a context of Freemasonry, so we can we can only go back so far, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the earliest bits that we have before 1717 um, take us back maybe 20 or 30 years with Ashmole. Um, I, I don't quote me on the dates. I'd be horribly. I, I can remember all the dates if you want. <laughs> so 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 the, the writings of Ashmole and then you go a little bit earlier there's some I want to say that there's some mentions in, in different places that yeah, uh, we have like the that, Shaw that statutes. Around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so but still those that still takes us into around the fifteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, so 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 really we're talking about the Renaissance. So twelve, thirteen, fourteen, uh Pico, um yeah, Kiko, Ficino, like yeah, Ficino, all of those yeah. guys. So, but they yeah, were translating for the for the Medici's and these new texts that that are the, very interesting to them. They stop translating these other texts. They start translating these, and then what happens is they fall into culture at that point, mm-hmm. right? So Renaissance, yeah, uh, Renaissance culture, and then they start getting transmitted person to person. I, I would guess that at a certain point. Uh, in that Renaissance culture, they're probably adopted by by interested parties who then probably bring them into this Rosicrucian idea, and that Rosicrucian idea then gets carried through uh, underground currents, which eventually get adopted by what were then gentrified uh, stonemasons, mm-hmm. who, who then started these stonemason lodges. So, yeah. so not literally guys hammering stone anymore. The speculative but, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dudes that like to put on aprons and or actually, I guess we call we call them adopted masons, right? Because yeah, because right. the thing is now we're realizing more and more that the stone masons were already quite mystical and speculative on their own, which is what attracted these the gentry, the landed gentry, and the nobility and stuff. They were sort of like, oh, look, these masons totally know what the hell is going on. Let's mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. go join their club. Yeah, and I, I actually think the connection between Rosic- the Rosicrucians and early Freemasons, I think was fast and direct, actually. I think that, because you have like, so so the Rosicrucian stuff comes out like in the 1610s, and then Ashmole becomes a Freemason in 1640. So it's not really that long later. And it's really yeah. during that period of time when like all of the alchemists and magicians and leftover Renaissance wizards are just like frothing at the mouth to find the real Rosicrucians. <laughs> um, and, it, you know, so I think that there's probably like a really fast, really direct influence there, even if... Um, you know, I, I suspect they probably were disappointed right away when they discovered that the stonemasons were not the Rosicrucians, but they definitely started bringing some of that stuff with them. They had to go somewhere. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. And and the Rosicrucians, they were totally influenced by Hermetic thought. 
I, I want to say so. So I, I have tried in different instances of, of taking apart the text to understand it in a better context. And, and when I say Rosicrucians, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about the, the contemporary, um, the contemporary folks. So the mm-hmm. Amorks or, or even the other ones. So, so these yeah. are literally the Rosicrucian texts, but I've, I've tried, I've, I have struggled in many times to take those apart to, to, to give them some other sort of, um, outline context so so really to try to tease it apart and and they really are these dense um i don't want to say hard to translate but almost hard to uh parse through yeah outside of just like going across it as a whole Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so like this bit so you know climbing the tower and going towards the castle and this and that and and i'm sure there are texts and phd studies of people who who have who have tried to chase and, and tag these things to different lineages or to different, you know, streams of thought at the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, if you get, uh, so the, the, the one that Jocelyn Godwin, uh, released maybe four or five years ago, he's mm-hmm. got some pretty good commentary in there, but he, he like, of course, rushes over tons of stuff. He's like, Oh, if you want to understand this, read this dude's PhD thesis. I'm like, God, <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. but, uh, but he, he does sort of mention, uh, this is one of his throwaway mentions that points to somebody else's thesis where he's like, Oh yeah. So-and-so analyzed this and found numerous layers of the number seven throughout the, throughout the uh, chemical wedding. And I'm like, ah, oh, I want to. Yeah. I want to know more about that. That sounds cool. <laughs> but um, but even the, you open it and start going through, and it's yeah. like, oh, oh, this is just too much. I don't have time in my day for this. <laughs> the, the thing that's so ridiculous is all three of the Rosicrucian texts are so short. They're you know like yeah. they're not yeah. they're not big books. They're like a one of it. What is it? The the Fama or whatever that has the the theses, the Rosicrucian theses. It's like it's like seventy paragraphs long or something like that. So it's but long. It, they, yeah. it, it is. It, it is not simple. The same, you know, and, and this is just purely anecdotal parallel, but the same is true of Hermetica. So, mm-hmm. so when you start going through the Hermetic text, that's, they're really these short little almost stanzas mm-hmm. of, of thought, but it's still just like, oh, so much information. Oh, it's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, um, I think I got, uh, my first right i think the first time i read the hermetica was probably in 2001 2002 and i have sort of like a hardbound um way of hermes that i got way back then mm. and i have been reading it ever since and that thing is is looking its age i i spend so much time <laughs> in that book <laughs> there have been i think four or five times i've started on a project where i'm like i'm just gonna go through and do commentary verse by verse and it, no that doesn't work i mean I, I, it I, works i'm sure it works i just haven't finished I, I won't. I won't lie. I've tried. I, yeah. I think I've, I've. I've. I mean, and and we'll I'll, we'll talk about it more in, in a bit. I'm sure. But, um, yeah. So so that that's the current. They in in one of the in the books that I wrote for the symbolic lodge. So so the symbolic lodge are basically the first three degrees of Freemasonry mm-hmm. with all these ideas sort of woven in through it. Uh, it has a, a bit of Kabbalah in it, a bit of Hermetica in it, uh, some some tarot, and it just in Crowley's work, uh, it, it sort of weaves all those thoughts together. But in, in it, in one of them, I think it was the third one. Um, one of the connections that I tried to make was uh, was Freemasonry's what we know of today in Freemasonry's adoption of what was the Stonemasons' guilds uh, of 
of like the 1500s, which mm-hmm. had these mystery plays that they would put on. And, and it, it wasn't just stonemasons. It was, a whole, you know, the tailors, the vinters, the cobblers. Through these towns, they would have these celebrations of, uh, of, of whatever their patron uh, saint or their patron uh, namesake was. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't have the books in front of me, but, but you would have the tailors doing the, uh, I can't remember which one. The, yeah, the, they they were sort of um, they were kind of like passion plays, but but yeah, cent- that's centered it. around like different. They weren't always uh, centered around Jesus. They might be centered around other biblical characters or other mythological Correct. characters that were there. Yep. Yeah, a- and especially yeah. as it related to whatever their particular uh, guild was. Right. And and right. those went on for some time. And 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 my thinking was, and and you know, this is not this is not graduate school level thinking, but. But it just in, in teasing out the facts of Freemasonry and what we have today, and in, in especially in the third degree, and then as you get into the Scottish Rite degrees and the York Rite, um, that they still seem to be these strange abstract expressions of these uh, these activities mm-hmm. in in what the degrees themselves are presented as. So, so first two degrees, obviously are standalone, and I don't want to get too deep into this just for anybody who's going to throw eggs at me, but um, the first and second degree, I don't think anybody would disagree, are different substantially from what the third degree is. Yeah. There are aspects of the third that, that are in the first and second, but the first and second are really standalone. And, and one of my early takeaways was that this, the second degree was really the terminus. And that the likelihood is that the third degree eventually ended up as this passion play that was brought in as a ceremony. And, and that's what we now have as this um, ensemble of these three degrees. You know, mm. because there's no other way to explain why the third is so different. They, it used to bother me. It's like, why is this such a different thing right, than what it, these other it, two are? It goes from it goes from sort of like a narrative lecture architecture into a mm-hmm. drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a huge transition. No, I think that makes total sense. I think you could you could probably make an argument that again we're not we're not graduate students here so (laughs) um but you could definitely make the argument that like the first two degrees were probably like the stonemason degrees you know these were basically you know what we have now is probably like leftovers of maybe you know the first degree being kind of like their entered apprentice thing where they're brought in and they're like we're going to teach you the secrets of our craft you got to keep this stuff secret and then the second degree was probably the teaching degree where they're like here are all the things you need to know here are the equations here are the tools here's the math yep. here's the blah 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 and then um but all of it was infused with this sort of uh mystical religious aspect just because that was how everybody lived that was life your, your life was infused with with the religious and with the mystical at that point like it you know yep. we, we had a different mode of thinking a different mode of approaching the world and the work of a stonemason was sacred you know they were building sacred buildings yep so and and uh, who's to say that there there wasn't I mean, I mean obviously there was a probably a degree of um uh self-aggrandizement so so making more holy the activity of building these things because you're building these houses to God. Right. So, right. so I can't remember where it was and I'd read it once, but, but it was, but it was, um, I'm probably going to butcher it, but, but essentially the, the sacred act of building these buildings necessitated a sacred, uh, ceremony for people who did it. Oh yeah. So, so whereas today you get people who get dues cards for joining, uh, uh, um, 
uh, a union then to become a, a a member of this this guild this union this was your induction into it mm-hmm. so everybody who came into it before went through it and and everybody who will in the future will go through the same thing and so you will all be on the same page i think uh the modern person living in the united states growing up in sort of whatever you would consider average culture or whatever has a very difficult time um accepting a sort of worldview where things that we might view as commonplace were viewed as sacred or holy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And and I think that that's more of a cultural shift mm-hmm. than, than necessarily uh, a, a clear desire to not do it. Uh, and again, this goes back to that postmodern context of, of how we're existing. So, so, you know, and this is off context or off, off topic, partially but on context um when you when you look at things like the pew polls and they talk about how many people uh still believe in a particular religion versus how many end up going to church Mm -hmm. and then if you go to church and count the people in the pews the numbers don't match up and and i I mean i would and and i say this because i worked at a church at one point so um the 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 number of people who say that they're of a particular faith and who go to those houses of worship are dramatically different. Yeah, I totally would agree. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and so, I mean, I would even dare say, and, and, and in no way judging, but even of those who are listening to this in the future, um, who who have a particular faith, you know, the, to answer the question of when's the last time you went to church? When's yeah. the last time you supported that church with the tithe or some other thing? Um yeah so it, it's just it, and so so it's in that it's in that framework that i think that you're right that that people just don't have that spiritual connection anymore um that that they used to mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think that it used to be i think that there used to not be much of a difference between your spiritual life and your everyday life yeah, and especially the further back you go, and and mm-hmm. looking at uh and what these day to day rituals are. You know, we, I think culturally as Americans, we we sort of you know poo poo on the idea of of praying multiple times a day. But historically, I mean, when the church bells rang, there there were things that you did. You know, in the evenings you would go to vespers, or you know, and I'm saying in, in the past. I mean, mm-hmm. like a long past, a hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred years ago depending upon the, the religion, Catholicism more so than others. Um, Americans much more uh, of a Protestant bend, and, and that had its own set of ideals that, that I think we've adopted and kept some. You know, mm-hmm. our work ethic is certainly uh, supposed to be this uh, puritanical ideal. I'm hoping the pandemic breaks that part. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> sure would be nice. Sure would be nice if we could get rid of that horrible work ethic that Oh, demands that are even <laughs> is it what is it is it the quaker ethic or what is it uh, it's what is uh, it? it's the protestant ethic there's this great book yeah. on it that i tell everybody to read max weber he wrote this book called um the protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism and you read it and you sort of come away from it going like oh I like working because of Calvin. <laughs> right. It's like the only idea of his that we didn't throw we didn't throw out. We just <laughs> it benefiting the capitalism at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 to what you're saying again, we we are um 
very much far and away from from what that spiritual life was i mean now i i we I, and and this is going to sound horribly judgy but like you know our ideals of of spirituality are, are doing yoga and listening to uh, a meditation track on spotify you, you know what i mean that it, mm-hmm. it it is not have the same context even prayer i mean we say that we pray but you know, is our prayer like I'm I'm saying a prayer for somebody, literally invoking a deity to say, you know, hey deity, help this person with this problem, or is it just, you know, the lip service of like yeah, I'll say a prayer for you? And yeah. that being prayer. It almost feels like a lot of times spirituality now ends up being a um like a, a therapeutic crutch to help you deal with modern life rather than something that should be kind of the goal of the life. Yeah. So yeah. So like the yoga yeah. meditation track sort of thing. It's sort of people who are who are so stressed out by what modern life is throwing at them that they're like, oh, I do some yoga and I just feel so much better afterwards. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but why even put yourself in the spot where that has to be it? Like imagine if you were already feeling good and then you did yoga. <laughs> yeah, just that much better. I mean, that's mm-hmm. and, and then the whole meditative aspect too, you know, and, and I, it's it's funny to me. So So is this, again another sidetrack but but in the syncretic culture of of adopting and tossing and melding and and squishing these different ideals together so so now we we have meditation apps we do yoga to what we see on youtube and and you know things that would at one point have either had a guru or a spiritual teacher associated with it or some ethos behind it you know why are you doing these yoga poses you know what enlightenment are you seeking now we do it because it helps our back feel better mm-hmm. and we can be more bendy so if you bring this back around to freemasonry in a postmodern world you yep. get you get a much different kind of approach like i think you still have this kind of thing where like Lodge is a place where you can like step away from the hectic everyday living stuff and you can, you know, you can share either camaraderie or, you know, depending on the lodge, like some lodges are much more, you know, mystically inclined or esoterically inclined than others. So, you know, you, but you still spend this time where you're sort of stepping out of the mundane world and into this sort of like sanctuary where you're kind of like, oh, thank goodness for Robert's rules of order and how (laughs) soothing this mental yoga is making me feel. I know, um, I know. But it, it goes beyond that because Freemasonry, uh, at least I think in a in a in a healthy lodge, Freemasonry provides kind of a social network and a social kind of web that helps tie like the lessons and values of Freemasonry throughout your life. So you have this sort of like you know the the virtues and ethics that you learn in Freemasonry end up being kind of like spread by capillary through all of your Masonic friends who become part of your social circle. Does that make sense? Am I stretching? No, 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 not at all. And and I think, I I, I don't think that you are. And and I think that you could, you could uh, by analysis say that the same is true for the online connections that you have in that same sphere Mm -hmm. that may not be in, in person face to face. Um, that that there is there is definitely an aspect of of what the underlying principles of the fraternity is that mm-hmm. that allows these connections right so so i always think of it as like the commonality totally anecdotal story uh uh at my job there were some uh, mm-hmm. a couple of new people that started uh as security for the building 
I noticed, so knowing that one of these people drove a particular car, uh, saw a square and compass on the car, sort of asked around, oh, who drives the so-and-so car, found them, and, and quite literally uh, at one introduction and at one inner introduction, it, it was as though we'd been friends for, for years. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that that's the underlying characteristic of it, which is really hard to translate as that lodge experience because the lodge experience differs from one lodge to the next, from one year to the next, and from one state to the next, and so on. Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's the underlying, uh, as, a, as a fellow I once knew would say, the gestalt of, of what the, the what the fraternity is. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. So, so have. have you ever met anybody offhand? And just, oh, yeah. It was... Yeah, it's happened a number of times. There have been times um, like completely out in the wild. I remember um, maybe the first time it happened, I was maybe like just newly a master mason uh, and I was on a road trip somewhere and at a rest stop, some some person I had never seen before saw me get out of my car that had a square and compass thing on it and he called me brother and he came over and started talking and he was from multiple states away. I'd never met him before in my life. And we were just like instant buddies, like sharing yep. snacks and stuff like right away. Yep. Um, but also, you know, when I moved to Portland in 2011, um, Freemasonry was an instant social circle. Like I just started yes. going to lodge and all of a sudden I had friends, I had people who would help. I had, you know, it was a, it was a support network that was already there. Yep. Yeah. Which yeah. is a, which is a great thing. You know, that's a, I, the, an anecdotal story comes to mind of of uh, masons are the type that you could leave your wallet sitting on a table in the room and everybody around would watch it versus someone taking it in a in a public context. You, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That yeah. that's the the value and the trustworthiness that I think comes uh, as a as a indescribable aspect of of the fraternity itself in in the present day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, I think that is something that also shares echoes from like the the concept of um you know ancient mysteries and shared experience and uh even like what what some scholars think existed in like hermetic lodges and stuff so if you go back to some of the hermetic tracts uh, i think asclepius might be the the best one where you've got you know asclepius is one of the the famous parts of the of the hermetica and um, it goes through all of these anecdotes and mystical lessons and all this sort of stuff. And then at the end, like the last couple of paragraphs, uh, Hermes Trismegistus, the teacher, he totally is just like, okay, well, now we've had all of this, you know, mystical experience. We've done all this. We've done all this. Let's have dinner. And it just totally just <laughs> ends with them like going to eat together. And it just feels like a lodge meeting, you know? You're yep. kind of like, all right, we're done with everything. Let's go eat. <laughs> and you can imagine they probably sat around their dinner table talking about, I don't know, uh, ancient Egyptian football or whatever was going on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Ooh, is that Co- Which, you have Copenhavers? I, I do. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in fact, I'm reading the line uh, with such hopes we turn to a pure meal that includes no living thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it, it's totally um, the hermetic meal. I, I I refer to that often. I I love that uh, that whole book. Um, and 
you, you make an interesting point and in, in not to, to sidetrack where we're going, but uh, you make an interesting point to, uh, to how that tradition uh, likely carried forth and, and why it was eventually adopted by the, the speculative Masons as they adopted into to what we know as Freemason today in, in that these people of these uh, thoughts and ideas needed ways of, of communicating, of gathering, of knowing one another uh, from town to town or place to place. And, uh, and I think that those, those are sort of the ways that these were translated through that. That's why we have uh, what we have today, mm-hmm. you know, that may not remember the whys or what's of what they did before, but it was that connection over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to see, you know, I mean, the stuff we were talking about, about how, like, you know, when you're a Freemason, you can just go to any lodge. It'd be really interesting to see if that sort of thing existed way back then. Like, did the did the hermeticists, did they have secret passwords? I think you definitely have evidence of initiations happening, even in the Corpus Hermeticum. I think... Um, Especially, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, like book 13 and book 10, I think, both have these sort of feelings of Hermes leading one of his students through an initiation and bringing them to like a greater level of of understanding and spiritual awakening or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But I don't know about the passwords. <laughs> well... <laughs> I, so, so that, that's sort of the interesting thing. And, and, and that's another tangent of mine that I think that we're, we, not we, the, the royal we, um, uh-huh. <laughs> get caught up in these ideas of, of, of literal lineage of things and, and, and want to have um, what we're doing to be the most authentic expression of it. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, what did they do uh, 500 years ago? What did they do a thousand years ago? And, and, and that's where I think that, that we get into this uh, area of this um, postmodern uh, ideal of it that, that isn't necessarily the exact, you, you know what I mean? Unless mm-hmm. we find a, a, literally an a emerald tablet of some kind or, or a cuneiform, <laughs> ta- you know what I mean? Unless we find something that literally is explaining it to us and, and saying this is how you do it, um, which in some cases you can find hints of that. Uh, I think it, it's much more um, it's much more evolved to understand that it was this idea in the past, and and how we bring that idea into the present day. So so whether or not we're saying the exact word uh, that they used 500 years ago, or or if we're using what we expect or think is is the correct um, utterance of it, or or password, or. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? These things evolve. They, they're, they're, that's that's one thing that with Freemasonry that that sort of catches in my craw is that there's a there's an admonition of, of there's no change that it's this is the way it is. But oh, in it's reality, such a lie. It, exactly, <laughs> it is. It has changed. I mean, just the fact that people are walking around in tuxedos and top hats like three hundred years ago, they didn't have that, yeah, but it was fancy dress then. So so, but it but it's these imperceptible. Uh, imperceptible changes, these micro changes that occur over time that, that, you know, Oh, we don't like the black ties anymore. We're all going to wear blue ties or we don't like top. We don't like beaver skin top hats because beaver skins unethical to harvest that way. So we we'll use faux fur or we'll just go with felt or we we'll use a tri corner. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We adopt over time 
uh, different changes. And I think that that that's really the undercurrent here. Um, even even to go like so so the aspect of, of initiation in, in hermetica. I mean the the whole submerging in a bowl. I mean it's a it's a mm-hmm. baptism, if you will, um, but it's still an initiation. So so whether or not it's a a, a Christian baptism in a pool or a sprinkling of water, or or even uh, a walking around a lodge to to distinct knocks and and being shown how to to wear certain apparel certain ways. Um, these are these are all adaptions. They, they're not all the same. They're 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 not they're not even a one to one reference of you know this is this, but but they're similar and they're similar enough where I think that we can equate it uh, as one to another as as this representing this and representing that and and giving us this context of of initiation or passing or of ritual um, that that happens. Yeah. No, I totally. You know, I, I think that it's a, uh, if you dive into Masonic history, you don't even have to go back too far before things just diverge so much. You know, I mean, yeah, dues cards are an innovation in Freemason. You know, those are a change. We didn't used to have dues yep. cards. <laughs> yeah. Or even lodge rooms. I we mean, didn't used you to have know, lodge rooms. If, if, if we're going to go back to the purest sense, let's all yeah. gather at a tavern and, and hang out. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. But it's um, how much of uh, so hermetic philosophy? It was so we we sort of talked about its rediscovery in the Renaissance, and then maybe it kind of like filtering into Freemasonry. And I think Hermes Trismegistus is even mentioned in our in our legendary history, right? I I want to say that he's mentioned somewhere in like Anderson's Constitutions or something as possibly a Freemason. <laughs> Uh, probably. Geez, I I would have to go back and look. It's been it's yeah. been a while since uh, since I've looked. I know um, Pike leaned on him quite a bit at different points. Um, rightly, wrongly, you know. Again, this is this is that syncretic adoption over time of of just incorporating ideas into into other ideas and and mm-hmm. making new things. Um, I I I want to say that he does and and. You know, it makes you wonder. So, so then, if he did, what was the degree to which he understood the the tradition? Well, I think it's. I really think that's a hard question to answer. I think it's a hard question to answer because I know that my own understanding of the tradition is is heavily flavored by my by my greater access to like history and archaeological record than Pike had. Mm-hmm. Right, so, so it was still a mystery. It, there, there was a lot more mystery when Pike was reading uh, the Hermetica. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was the sort of thing where, like, even now, we don't necessarily know how much we don't know about it. You know, we we it, there's so much tradition built up around it, and so much stuff built up around it, and sometimes, you know, like I love the scholarly translations, like Copenhagen. Uh, Copenhagen and stuff, but I I find it really difficult to read some of their stuff sometimes and understand the leaps they've made. Like, why do you make this assumption? I don't really necessarily get this out of the text, so where is all of this coming from, or how are you pulling this stuff in? So it's really hard to say. It's hard to say how much of what we think about it now is going to be considered a bunch of hooey in 50, yeah. 60 years, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. The the only argument though that I would make to that is 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 as much as that's true. Um, I, I have found in the past that thinking like that was a limiter for me, mm-hmm. and and I think culturally it, it it would be a limiter to to put that um, limitation on on still trying to to pull that information out. So trying to to draw that context or draw the um, connections mm-hmm. or even re understand them. Um, and and even try to reinterpret the text. I, I there there are bits and pieces in in Hermetica that that are I don't want to say blatantly sexist. That, oh, yeah, that, yeah. You know, just, <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> you know so so like a baby with the bathwater kind of thing. It's like well, all right, we can we can adopt certain parts of it, and 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 those parts we can understand as good, and the other ones we can call out as being bad, and say well, you know that so so yeah, this shouldn't be exclusively for men. But the same is true of other traditions, and which is a whole other yeah, that's a whole other thing that we could argue over and talk about. Not literally argue, but but discuss. Yeah, um, yeah, I know, I know what you're meaning. But <laughs> that would take like ten so, more hours. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I know. So, yeah. so I think um, it, it is very hard, and and I think that that especially in in, in this edition, um, I, I don't know if this is going to be video later, if this is going to be just audio, but so this is the the, the literally the Brian P. Copenhaver um, Copenhaver edition of Hermetica, um, that that you mentioned earlier about about wrecking on the inside. So I mean, mm-hmm. this has got more lines and and notes and oh yeah, mine, mine does too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's almost like more highlighter than it is page text page color <laughs> anymore um you know we, he, he has a a really great introduction at the beginning that that kind of goes through this history and, and explains what it might be and, and where it's from and and what an earlier iteration was of hermes and what a later iteration of hermes was and how those two you know blended and i think that that it, it grates on our uh ideal for a uh uh, literally hermetic a uh, sealed history and and really it's a syncretic blend of of some egyptian of some greek of some roman and then even some christian ideals that have started to, to come out in other areas and, and as students of it we need to interpret it and this is where we go back into that postmodern context to understand it and in, in how we exist today because it'd be one thing to to walk into uh, a meeting hall or a church and to slap this book down and say, this is the way of it when it has these issues or it has aspects that are out of context of, you know, we don't do a bowl uh, ritual of initiation and, you know, maybe we don't have these other ideals that we talk about in here. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't talk about the creation of the universe with seven creator gods and, and emanating from another and then emanating from a thought, you, you know, it's, you have to take it in context, I think. And, and that's mm. where I think the book is, as you start to dissect it, just as we talked about with the Rosicrucian uh, text, you, you have to sort of take these things apart. So what does this graph here mean? What does this line in here mean? And how does that relate to these other things? Is it, you know, even one of my notes here, it's talking, I have a note written down next to it, the question mark, is this relate to the Zodiac? You, you know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. maybe is an older idea, maybe is a, a different idea. Yeah, I think uh, especially in the Hermetica, you know, you you have this theme of of individual experience and individual um, sort of coming to light where we're sort of taught that, you know, this stuff is, the, it, I think there's like a passage where Hermes is like, this stuff is really hard to talk about. You have to go through this experience in order to really see it. 
um, which sort of outlines like this level of abstraction in there where there isn't really, I mean, I guess there, there are places where there's dogma laid out, but uh, a lot of it contradicts each other. And yeah, then um, yeah. it's really just sort of a, it's almost like a handbook for um, reaching your own conclusions sometimes. Yep. I, I, one of the, one of the beautiful things and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the beautiful pieces that comes out of this is that essentially it, it and this speaks to to a whole different theolo- theological uh, argument that I have that I like to make. Um, but essentially what it says is that, is that the, the, the only thing, the only aspect of God is the good. Mm-hmm. And so, so it doesn't matter anything else that, that, um, the, 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 what, what captures the essence of God is the good and, and what does good mean? You could start to argue and try to understand. Um, but, but that, that, you know, the, the essence of it is, is that whatever is good is of God. Right. Yeah. Actually, that's almost literally something it says in there. There's something in there yeah. that talks about how, <laughs> The further, so the, what is it? I think the exact line is something like the measure of evil in a man is the absence of the good. Yeah. And the good being sort of like a symbol for God or even God itself. And it's sort of saying like the further you get away from that, you know, evil isn't a thing. Evil's just a lack of a thing. A lack of something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, even even just looking in the, in the index of, of, of the instances of good, I mean, it's, it's probably 30 or 40. So, I mean, just that's, that, that is a, such a, a core aspect of, of the teaching, I mm-hmm. think, and a, and a takeaway. Um, and, and so just even to dovetail from this to, to so my own takes of it, um, in, in, in incorporating this with, with the Masonic sense and then even outside of it, I felt like, so with Masonry, I hit a, a wall with, with associating it. So yeah, it's associated with, but then how does that relate to the bigger picture, which goes to, to the, the blurb that you mentioned at the beginning of, of the text that I'm trying to explore um, is how does this fit in, in a bigger, a bigger context? And, and one of the aspects that I came to that, uh, came to from from that exploration is is this idea of like a a, a trans polytheism, which which is really mm-hmm. just putting a lot of words together to sort of explain <laughs> that, that 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 God is essentially just the good. So 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 deity is it doesn't matter which one it is Christian, uh, Hindu, uh, Muslim, Buddhist, uh, you know any of the other hundreds of different. Uh, conceptions of, of religion and God, but they, they're all right culturally where you're at in context. So, so as an American here, it's it's Christian, Protestant, Catholic, uh, new Christian, um, or or it could be Buddhism or Hinduism or or Islam. Um, that they're all they're all correct in their same sense, which is a, a tremendous hurdle for people to get over, especially when you think that your religion's the only religion, mm-hmm. right? Right. So, right. But that right there, that thing where it, you know, it, where you you were saying like it doesn't matter which god it is, they're they are manifestations of the good, or they are like embodiments of the good, or whatever, is kind of one of the core principles of like the idea of. Freemasonry's acceptance of all religions, yeah. exactly. Which which brings to another point of connection, <laughs> so, which is which was really you know these were all and and maybe this is a, a lot of navel gazing on my part to try to put all these pieces together. So so the adoption of all religions as being 
uh, of equal quality. So, so mm-hmm. all of them being accepted, I, I would even have I, in the past had these arguments that if if a Satanist were to come to Freemasonry, as as distasteful as some may find it, that that is still in essence someone having uh, religious faith in something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the argument would be that it's not a, be, a belief in a supreme being, but you know, ha, what, what's our litmus test for that? You know, even the atheists. So, so when you look at like French Freemasonry, they they've gone to the point of including blank books on the altars. I've never seen one, never been a part of the ritual, but so I've heard from folks who have uh, that within some of their traditions, they their use of the blank book is to represent all these faiths. Right. Yeah. So because there's no one faith that's over another, that's all faith. So to represent that at the blank book. Yeah, I think they call it uh, freedom of conscience. Instead that's probably of, right. Yeah, instead of uh, instead of belief in a supreme being. But yeah, that's that's a good point. Well, and so I mean these these are these are modern adoptions to it because I mean the, the tradition itself grew up in a Christian context, right? So mm-hmm. Western Europe is distinctly Christian. Um, but through the Enlightenment, we we have come to understand these things uh, in different ways now. Yeah, I wish that I, I think that one of the places the Enlightenment went wrong though was sort of the separation of the secular and the spiritual. Um, I mean, I, I think it had I think it had to happen. I think we needed to really tear that bandaid off. Um, and we're probably sort of coming towards a place where hopefully that separation becomes a little less uh, pronounced where we learn to reintegrate the spiritual into everyday life in a way that is more accepting and doesn't require you to be of one church. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate the optimism. I, I, <laughs> I feel way more pessimistic about it. And, yeah. and I think because it's not for a lack of wanting, but I, it feels like we, you know, it's it's the gross material culture that, that I think that we're so uh, entwined with. Mm-hmm. You know, Pike, and I can't remember which degree it is, but Pike, you know, in his, uh, his, his writings talks about this gross materialism um, and, and this, you know, capitalism run rampant that, uh, that I think we, we're just so far away from, you know, again, back to it's what we we're talking about just a few minutes ago, that we, we like this idea of spiritualism, but without uh, the context of it having to have a name. Right. So, right. so you yoga, but we're really not, you know, practicing Hinduism mm-hmm. or we like meditation uh, or, or philosophy, but we're not Taoists or Stoicists, or you know, we like uh, we like these rosary beads because they look cool. But you know, we're really not into to doing hail marys and, and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that 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 is such a strange uh, mix that I wouldn't be surprised if you found people now who who did all these different things. So someone who did yoga, who meditated, who wore a rosary or a cross, and and not get that all those things are pickups from from different uh religious uh streams of thought you you know what i mean that these are all like core core aspects of other religions that you're just sort of doing right it's the the sbnr the spiritual but not religious (laughs) (laughs) so so and maybe we'll get back to it and and maybe it's just a generational shift you know maybe this this whole uh covid thing will will push us all back onto that um 
that that bandwagon of of needing to find it. But I I just I don't think that I think culturally we're drifting more away from it because there's nothing that really encapsulates that into a thought. And and that's where I think this hermetic idea has uh, it has room to expand. And, and I'm not, I hate, it sounds like I'm talking about growth opportunities at McDonald's into a new marketplace, but, but, but it has room, it has room there to expand if it can, if it can reach those folks and if it has resonance within context, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where that trans polytheism comes in is that it, sure, it can float between religions and, and it has all these different ideas, um, and it still can operate in, in a singular plane. So, so it, 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 and, and that's, I, I looked it up. The term, some dude used the term a long time ago. I thought I was genius for coming up with it, but of course, you know, it's nothing is new under the sun. <laughs> um, but, and, and there's, and is it, you know, is it just polytheism? I thought it was polytheism, but because we shift between uh, different thoughts on it. So that's the, where the trans comes in. Right. So uh-huh. it could be, we could be practicing a Buddhism uh, in in trying to let go of things and, and you know not literally, but you, you know what I mean. That that's mm-hmm. the that's the spiritual soup that I think that we all sort of exist in now, and these shifting ideas that you know you pray to how you, your faith your your faith tradition is Christianity, but you have you know the the a Buddha statue on your porch, and and again you know prayer beads from from islam or jainism or some other tradition around your neck you, you know what i mean that that's mm-hmm. the strange context that i think that we live in now oh, and, and so that's where this idea comes from and that's we we so in particular freemasonry wants to uh hold down this ideal of of existing within these specific silos of tradition when when the reality is that we are now this multi-siloed multi-tradition uh culture mm-hmm yeah, I think that's kind of the heart of your of your argument too. I mean, it makes sense, <laughs> and uh, it it is. I I appreciate your pessimism. I guess I do feel optimistic, but what you're saying sounds way more realistic. I'm just really bad at being realistic. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I hate being so pessimistic about it's it. Not, too. It's 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 actually I don't find it to be a pessimistic point of view. Like basically, what you're talking about is broader acceptance and more. You know, even though, yeah, I mean, it it you it does seem like what you're you're talking about is a is a level of broader acceptance and broader, um, and a, and a more open worldview that's that's open to accommodate stuff it's it's like a new era of syncretism that's going to be incorporating this stuff and maybe uh crossing some lines of you know religious intolerance and that sort of thing in a way that's going to hopefully help everybody so i just turned you into an optimist sorry (laughs) (laughs) thank you i'm i'm I'm, it saves me I, i i yes i and i think that it's a it's a it's a super hard stretch you know and and i think some of this so so where some of this thinking came from was was a long time ago i used to i used to be dogmatic and trying to argue this point that freemasonry is religion and 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 the kernel of that came from from folks that i used to know in lodge older guys 
who who it was their life right i mean they were like 40 50 years in the craft and and it, it, they held every membership card that that was known locally and and were affiliated across the board and and to them you know, you'd have these conversations with them and to them it it, it was uh, it was a religion to them, mm-hmm. and you know. Then we start to understand. So, what does what does religion mean? You know, how, how, is a religion what we believe, or is it the practice of something and ritual? And so that took me down a rabbit hole of of trying to come to a clear definition and understanding of of what religion means. And and my takeaway was that a religion is essentially something that we're carrying forth from the past, right? So this is like the Webster's definition of of religion is 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 doing something that we've done before mm-hmm. uh in a in a practice of of transmitting it to the future right so so like a ritual practice religious practice belief is different belief mm-hmm. is something else um belief is is what we we have in our hearts you know as the as a as being something that's true and and re- and freemasonry could be both it could be a belief and it could be a religion but within masonry there's no there's no deity, right? There's no, mm-hmm. there's no God that we look to, you know, we did all seeing eye, eye providence maybe is like a, a cultural thing. We look to it as a Christian, um, a Christian context of, of what religion is of, mm-hmm. of the religion of Freemasonry. But, you know, it, we shy away from it because we're open to all religions. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that was sort of this, the, the initial connection that, that led to this, uh, connecting Freemasonry to to the Hermetic tradition, in that Hermetica seemed to be the only place that I could find this this um, context of of this trans polytheism, this this acceptance of all faiths as being valid, and you being able to exist within all of them, but that they all have the same uh, codex of of acceptance. Right. And it's hard to explain that to people and then to get people on board with it. It's like, well, I'm, I'm, but I'm a Christian, I'm a Freemason, but I'm a Christian. And so that's horrible. And so you get the people that are already against Freemasonry to push against you like that's wrong. And then you get the people who are anti Freemasonry saying that's wrong because this is the only way. And so it's a very hard ideal to convey. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not looking for converts here. This isn't like, you know, a Jim Jones saying, let's go down to, to Guyana or, <laughs> or you know, let's go to Waco or something. Right. But, but it, it it's trying to change an outlook on something that I was sensing that that was starting to become less important to a lot of people. You know what I mean? Back to mm-hmm. that thing of how many people are going to a to church anymore? Are they able to fund it? I mean, that's that. Then in in the time that I had worked at a church to be able to see that firsthand, you know, a church that could easily accommodate probably seven, 800 people. It was a big church mm-hmm. that on Sundays they would maybe, maybe get 200, maybe three or four in the holidays. Oh, that's sounds like a lot. I don't know if I've ever seen that many people in a church in Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> it was, well, it was, it was a, it was, it was a, it was a big church before there were big churches. Mm-hmm. So I like, oh, like 150, 200 year old church in the community, maybe not 200, but it was an old church in the community. So, so it was still big enough. Um, but, but their numbers were shrinking. So, so right. even in the, in the couple of years that I was there, it's like, you know, week on week, you could see that there were fewer and fewer. And it was a Methodist church. And so then you had the schisms of, of their acceptance of, of uh, 
the LGB T community mm-hmm. for those who you know it was a church that that went reform and and it was pro LGBT and and it was ostracizing the members that weren't and, and it was just you could see all the divisiveness that was happening and why people were leaving in droves mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so so that was sort of the 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 meta context of trying to understand these things and bring them to a, to the Masonic context. And so masonry has their own issues with this. It may not be an LGBT issue. It although is it probably is in a lot of cases. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. But you know, it's so, so, but as, as like, as like those things go, so, so obviously that's, that's, that's an issue. The LGBT issue, the, the gender is an absolute issue, which and it's is gonna something. Get, it's going to get to be bigger and bigger and bigger as time goes by too. And we're, yeah, we're yeah. so far behind on that. I mean, we're and still dealing with the racism issue. That's and that was my third. That's the third leg of the stool. <laughs> and it's it's yeah, yeah, it's that's yeah. I don't want to get into that in this episode. I have I have strong feelings about all of those things that um, I would love to talk to you about offline. <laughs> I know. Well, so so even just to to just sort of encapsulate that, I, I honestly think that that sort of the anchor that's around the fraternity's neck. Those three things. Uh, as separate weights that that will keep it from moving into the to the next um, into the next era. Yeah, and, and it's kind of sad. Like, it, it is, and and it's it's because ideologies are are refusing to change mm-hmm. and and move in a different direction and adopt these things. So so just to sort of bring that argument back around in, in the third book uh, in that symbolic large series on the Master Mason, the the intro to it. Um, I wrote this idea of, of what's at the heart of Freemasonry. So, so the two groups, so, so the two groups that I delineated uh, were priests and warriors. And, and so of those two groups, there's, there's a, always been a, a, a battle, not literally a battle, but an ideological battle back and forth between these priests and warriors of, of who had control of the fraternity and the fraternity's direction and ideals and all this other stuff. And, um, and, and, right now it's the warriors who are winning the, the warriors have control of it uh, and the warriors are the ones that are dictating the direction of the future mm-hmm. uh, of where it's going to go <laughs> wow, that is my dog my warrior dog barking at the squirrel on <laughs> <of> the tree <laughs> you know uh, this has been a really amazing conversation um, I feel like uh, we should have another one of these at some point yeah, I'm but, definitely down. That'd yeah, but for now, um, can you tell uh, the listeners where they can find you on the internet if they want to read more of your stuff? Absolutely. So, so uh, a lot of work is on Freemason information under the tag Masonic Traveler. If you if you go through FreemasonInformation.com, you'll you'll come across what I've written. I have done less there though. Uh, just because of life uh, being more hectic. So, so you can find me on Twitter. Uh, Gregory B. Stewart is my Twitter handle. Uh, it used to be Masonic Traveler. I've changed it, which I didn't know you could change them, but uh, I wanted it to be less um, handily and more me. Uh, and then uh, another website that I'm trying to collect my artwork and, and more esoteric daily life thoughts uh, is the primitiveright.com. Right. Which is a blog site, which I'm linking off to from the Twitter. So Twitter is probably the best place to find me. So so I tend to avoid Facebook. Uh, so if you send me a message on there, don't be surprised if it takes me a few weeks to get back to you. I, I'm, I, have, I have mixed feelings on Facebook. So I'm more on Twitter. So Gregory B. Stewart at Twitter. All right. so that's what, look for me there. And, and I'm sure maybe in the show notes you'll have it or, or just 
we I feel was like farming. just about to say that. I'm totally going to link to all of this stuff in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, great. And, and just yeah. just, to, just to one last little piece. I know we talked about it. So just to, to show the people who are questioning, I, I do have a ton of notes that I'm, I'm working on for, for what would be a, a book exploring the hermetic idea. I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with. I think there's there's such a wealth of stuff there and such a rich um, collection of of ideas to go through. I can't wait to see what you come up with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry that it took us, you know, so many years to connect and talk about this stuff, but eh, no worries so at happens. all. Uh, time now. Yeah. It's time now. I, I I'll be honest. I, I was I was really way more prolific in a lot of circles years mm-hmm. ago and had to, had to take a break. Yeah. I, I had to take a step back and just, this isn't my game anymore. And, and um, the, so, so, so we, before we started recording this, just as like a total anecdotal thing. So, so what had happened was uh, with the site you mentioned, Freemason information uh, that I started 15 years ago now, mm-hmm. um, I, I it, it had become like a personal uh, task for me to become like a, uh, not a spokesman for masonry, but like a cheerleader for it. And, and it, I'll, I'll be honest, I got burned out. Oh, I totally, so. I totally understand that. That's a, that's an exhausting <laughs> task to take on. <laughs> so anyway, so, so that's why now I'm trying to be me and not Masonic traveler. Yeah. Which... That makes sense. Okay. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Arnamancy podcast. You can find me online at arnamancy.com where you can schedule a tarot reading or peruse the Arnamancy blog. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. If you like this podcast, support it for just $1 a month through Patreon at patreon.com slash arnamancy.